Welcome to the Pinocchio Project. I'm your host, Mitch Friedman. Ideas have consequences, and every day you're exposed to ideas that promise human flourishing. Our mission here on the Pinocchio Project is to equip you to examine these everyday ideas so that you can determine for yourself whether or not they deliver on their promises. Welcome to the Pinocchio Project. This is your host, Mitch Friedman, and uh, it is March the 17th. And I know you've heard the expression that uh, March comes in like a lion and goes out like a lamb, uh, referring to the weather patterns that uh, it's still fairly intense winter when uh, the calendar rolls around to March. And so the lion is the uh, winter storms, the chill, the cold, uh, the snows, and then uh, the weather moderates as the month moves on towards spring and as April comes in, then all things are now new life and spring has sprung. Uh, but this is a little bit different here in Central Texas. Uh, March, if you remember just a couple of weeks ago, uh, actually came in like a lamb. It was very much spring-like. And uh, here uh, on March 17th, it is now like a freight train. So let me let me go to a mid-March uh, expression. That would be appropriate to the old expression, in like a lion, out like a lamb. Uh, this year, March is in like a lamb and is going out like a freight train. That's uh, super cold. Uh, I mean, well, not super cold, but it's really cold for mid-March in Central Texas. So I uh, just thought that was an interesting little to play on words, which I am always want to do. Uh, I had an idea for what I was going to do for the podcast today. I'm going to scoot right now. I had an idea what I was going to do for the podcast, uh, but my mind was changed in the early morning hours of Friday, March 17th, which is this day. Uh, I woke up uh, with some irritating little piercings uh, around my legs, and I thought maybe we had bed bugs. I've never had bed bugs, but as I was half asleep and being awoken by these little piercings, I thought, what is that? And I started to move around. And what I realized is I wasn't being bitten by bed bugs. I was being pinched by my own wife of 35 years. How, how dare she wake me out of a dead sleep by pinching me? And it turns out as she giggled and explained, uh, she wanted to be the first to pinch me for not wearing green on St. Patrick's Day, which is March 17th. And uh, I told her that was absolutely not fair. I didn't go to bed uh, the night before thinking I had to have green on in the bed before I got out of the bed. And so she had no business uh, pinching me for not wearing green when I had absolutely not made any kind of move towards the direction of being awake, established, and being able to choose clothing yet for that day. And so, as you see, I have at least two different kinds of shades of green on. I have a darker green with some uh, black uh, thread infused and then I have some what is that key lime green right here just to be safe in case she comes in and makes another assault and so why is it I wondered as I was uh, recovering from my pinchings I think she just likes to pinch me actually uh, she was looking for any excuse which is fine uh, when we stood before the officiant and so before God, uh, I think in our vows was uh, we promised to allow each other to pinch each other 
whenever uh, desired. But why is it that uh, we have this quote-unquote tradition of wearing green and then the follow-up tradition of pinching people who are not wearing green on St. Patrick's Day? These are things that I wonder. So I thought I'd do a little research. Turns out there are a lot of things that we ascribe to St. Patrick, quote-unquote, even though from a Catholic perspective, which as a, uh, a Protestant evangelical, there's my categories, those are my preferred nouns. A Protestant, well, it's, actually it's, a, it's an adjective and a noun, a Protestant evangelical. Uh, I, don't, I don't really hold to the canonization of human beings as the Catholic Church does when they make somebody a saint. And actually, St. Patrick wasn't canonized as a saint. But there, uh, as it turns out, a lot of things that we ascribe to St. Patrick that uh, if he was aware of them, now he would uh, kind of quote unquote roll over in his Irish clover, you know the expression "roll over in my grave" because something is being said about me or ascribed to me after I pass. Uh, he would roll over in his Irish clover because it turns out Saint Patrick wasn't even Irish. Imagine that. So what I thought I'd do, kind of in a fun way, I had an idea for what I was going to do for the project, but uh, after being pinched and considering Saint Patrick for a little while, and doing just a bit of. I would call slight subsurface research on St. Patrick. I thought that we'd talk about how interesting it is that we we uh, use uh, various figures in history uh, in a way that wasn't appropriate to the way their lives were lived or their legacy should be considered. Uh, and in this case, it's going to be St. Patrick. So uh, the probably the most prominent thing that St. Patrick is uh, known for is that on March 17th every year people want to party in his name they want to drink beer let me let me give you a stat here uh, according to the research organization wallet hub on St. Patrick's Day there is 174 percent more beer purchased 107 and this is in the west uh, the western hemisphere 174% more beer purchased and 153% more spirits. You know, spirits are anything that's not beer. I'm not sure wine is a spirit. Is wine a spirit? Get back to me on that. Uh, we're talking about hard liquor uh, when we talk about spirits generally. 174% more beer and 153% more liquor sold on St. Patrick's Day than other days. So St. Patrick, you under your banner are being employed to uh, quote-unquote catalyze or justify our desire to drink 174% more beer and consume 153% more hard liquor. How do you like that, St. Patrick? And I would imagine, because I do know more about him this very moment than I've ever known about him, I'd studied him some, really from a broad perspective. But he wouldn't like that very much. Uh, he say, "Please don't remember me for these things. I am not the patron, the patron saint of green suds or hard liquor." Um, so what I'd like to do is uh, is give us like ten things. I've kind of called these from. It's just a really general, basic search. Hopefully, it'd be more fun uh, than maybe some of our more serious topics. Um, but it's actually uh, very meaningful in certain ways and the things that St. Patrick's St. Patrick uh, accomplished. 
So his name was literally just Patrick, a padrag, as they say uh, in the British Isles, padrag. If you ever watch uh, shows that are Anglophile based, uh, you'll see see a many men named Padrag. That's literally what we know as Patrick in our in our Westernized version. So Padrag uh, wants us to know about ten things that are true about him. Uh, and as we as we examine those, we'll also look at the things that are not true about him also. Okay, so here we go. Uh, ten things about St. Patrick that you really need to know. First of all, get this, all you people wearing green uh, with your four-leaf clover, uh, cut out, stapled onto your green derby hat. Get this, Patrick was not Irish at all. Padrag was not Irish. Uh, he was actually British, either uh, from Wales or England, possibly southern Scotland. Uh, he was born in the, in the late 3rd century and lived into the 4th century, uh, and he was not Irish at all. Okay? So another thing you need to know about him that he actually was converted to Christianity. And the reason, or the, the I would say, the catalyst or the acute event that uh, mobilized his movement toward faith in Jesus was that he was taken captive by Irish raiders uh, as a young man. And uh, he was raised in a Christian home in either uh, England or Wales or Southern Scotland, uh, but he, he said in his own writings, one of his, his writings called Confessions or Confession, that he himself was not that interested in what he heard in church. And at 16, he was taken captive by Irish raiders. And so that would have been around AD 406 or 407. And as a result of that experience, if you read in his confession, which I did read some, interesting reading. I would, I would encourage us to go into the actual history of some of these people in whose name we do things that shouldn't be done in their names. Uh, in confession, he writes that just the, the, the intensity of his uh, fear and despair uh, had him crying out to God, and God answered his cry, and his heart was converted to Christianity. Uh, as a young man, as a result of being taken captive by Irish raiders. So I mentioned confession. Uh, we have two of his genuine writings that are confirmed in his, in his, uh, his life as a uh, now redeemed image bearer. Uh, and this is important. Um, we don't realize, I think, the amount of illiteracy that was so common in the world prior to, uh, for example, the, the printing press being invented and uh, it was very rare for anyone in any family other than the nobles to have any literate fluency at all meaning just to be able to read at the basic level it was very rare and and part of what uh, Patrick brought to uh, Ireland as he returned and I didn't give you that history really uh, so Patrick or Padraig was 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 converted he stayed in Ireland and then he went back to his home in Britain, and then uh, he was called to go back to Ireland as a missionary. We'll get to that in a minute. But what he brought when he went back was the, uh, the desire to embed 
literacy into the monastic orders or the monasteries uh, that were being uh, populated throughout the uh, British Isles. And from that uh, uh, insistence that the monks uh, gain literacy, uh, the literacy bug, if you will, was a contagion that spread through all the way through the common people. And as a result, uh, Ireland gained a literacy in the known world uh, and uh, uh, reputation for being literate that was very rare in all of the known world that, that these people could actually read. And as we know, reading is fundamental, uh, particularly when it comes to your own responsibility to understand the biblical text. And so this is, this is what, what Patrick brought to uh, Ireland was uh, in his own writings and his own uh, mentoring of the, the men in the monasteries uh, brought a love for, for reading for themselves. Uh, also, what you need to know is that uh, uh, Patrick's mission back to Ireland from England was around 430 to 460. And basically, he was the only one up until that time who took the Great Commission seriously in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Jesus tells his disciples to go into all the world and make disciples uh, of all men, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey, Jesus said, all that I have commanded you. And, and there was really no missionary movement whatsoever in uh, the 5th century Western Europe until Padraig Patrick went back to Ireland to the people who took him captive as a missionary in about 430 and he stayed there till about 460 and he took the gospel back into ireland and uh part of the reason that there were no missionary movements up to that time is that rome still held sway uh, from an influence and culture perspective in western europe and the roman idea for people who were not part of the roman empire or outside the pale of the educational uh, and economic benefits of Rome, they felt that they were not worthy of hearing the gospel, that they were literally barbarians who either wouldn't get it or they would like return as pigs uh, who have pearls cast before them. They would turn and destroy whoever it was offering the gospel. Uh, but, but people outside of the Roman bubble of education and culture and economy were seen as less than, uh, less than human and not worthy of being evangelized. Another thing about uh, Patrick's missionary and uh, ministry life was that dreams played a huge role in everything that he did uh, after he uh, went back to to Ireland. And even before, that he had a dream that he was supposed to uh, return. And also, a scripture, uh, this is so so important. I, th I thought this was this really a fundamental point of understanding Patrick was that every dream that he had, he tested against scripture, uh, which you can't do that if you can't read scripture. So, you know, all this is integrated. And uh, so dreams played a prominent role in really the key turning points of Patrick's life and ministry uh, experiences. Uh, but scripture was the kind of the dynamic hub of testing those dreams. Uh and Matthew 28, 18 was so key for him. He, he would say that this is, in his writings, that this is the text that confirmed the dream he had that told him to go back to 
go back to Ireland to evangelize the people that had taken him captive. Um, we have no idea if Patrick ever read any other books than the Bible. Uh, he only quotes the Bible in all of his writings when he, when he pulls something over to use as a quote. He uses the biblical text. I like that uh, in, a, in a missionary, in a minister, in a Christian. I think I've said this before on the Pinocchio Project. It's so important to have Scripture available to us because of our saturation in it and our memorization of it. It's so important. I, I don't know if I've told you this, but one of my desires for my legacy is that on my headstone, uh, if I get buried bodily, uh, I'm not sure we've made all those decisions yet. You should look at me and say, uh-oh, Mitch, it's getting late. You better make some. However... Those decisions haven't been made yet. Uh, but if I'm buried and I have a headstone, what I want on my headstone is, here's Mitch, actually his shell. He's actually enjoying his reward. But here's Mitch. He never had an opinion that wasn't grounded in the text. So I see this uh, for Patrick uh, also, that when he wants to quote something and he wants to emphasize his propositions, he uses the biblical text. I love it. I love it. I love it. Uh, so this is more about Patrick than you ever thought you would know. Uh, you just thought he was the patron saint of green beer. Uh, so a few other things here. Uh, I have about 10, but I'm kind of mixing them all together. So this is the way it's going to be. Uh, the anchor point of, of Patrick's conversion, he said, was the doctrine of the Trinity, the understanding of the uh the 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 beautiful triune that that means three unified god in in the same essence father son and holy spirit and this for him was sort of the uh, i would say the the nuclear center of his commitment to faith and uh was at the heart of his missionary uh, commitment to ireland as well so he, he, he founded a Celtic church, that's an Irish church, uh, that he wanted everyone to know was committed to Trinitarianism, which is, which is very, and a very important point. Um, maybe some of us take the Trinity as a doctrinal necessity. Uh, we, we just take it for granted, but there, there are many, many faith systems that call themselves Christian that aren't committed to the, the fundamental doctrine of uh, the Trinity. So uh, those are some things that are true about Patrick. Here are some things that are said about Patrick that actually aren't true or can be proven. Uh, one, one is, uh, one, one of the urban legends about Patrick is when he went to Ireland, he drove out all the snakes because there are no snakes in Ireland. And so therefore, the equation goes, philosophically, that Patrick must have driven out all the snakes. And that's that can neither be proven nor disproven. Uh, it's said that Patrick kicked all the snakes out of out of out of Ireland. Uh, another uh, urban legend, which I think is kind of cool, uh, but can't be proven, is that Patrick taught the doctrine of the Trinity that he held so dear using the Irish shamrock. You know, the the the, the three clovers, the three leaf shamrock. You know, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Ah. Let's have a green beer. Uh, let's put that on my... Uh, if every time I saw the shamrock on pa St. Patrick's Day, I thought of the Trinity, that would be a good thing. Uh, but it's it said that he taught the doctrine of the Trinity in formal settings using the shamrock. It's the same 
It's the same unity of an organism, but it has three different identical expressions. I don't know. It could work. Uh, also, uh, it said that he had uh, just intense spiritual uh, conflicts with the Druids of Ireland. Now, if you, if, I'm not going to spend the time here for uh, a conversation about the Druids, but uh, the Druids were basically a, a, a pagan... Uh, people that that worshipped all kinds of things natural and and participated in all kind of things unnatural in order to express their worship for the natural. Uh, I'll leave that to your uh, research, but they're they're like kind of uh, a showdown at twelve noon. You know, high noon. I'm going to come out into the street and have a showdown with the druids. None of that is documented, although from a spiritual perspective, uh, the battle always rages. But we don't have any evidence of kind of a high noon sort of set of showdowns between Patrick and the Druids. Uh, the, I guess the last thing I want to share is that the, 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 the reality, the, the truth, uh, the essential passion of Patrick's uh, zeal uh, for evangelizing uh, Ireland was an inspiration to missionaries and evangelists uh, after his time. Uh, particularly uh, William Carey, who went to India, he points directly to uh, Padraig as his inspiration for his decision to go to India uh, as a Brit and uh, evangelize uh, that continent. And and William Carey's uh, emphasis and influence on evangelizing uh, India is still being uh, played out today, and there's much fruit being born from Carrie's mission work to India. Uh, so I hope that's been interesting to you. The next time, you know, next March 17th, uh, spend a little bit of time uh, recognizing who Patrick is uh, in reality, in history. And hopefully uh, if you overindulge in the green suds or the spirits, uh, you won't allay the responsibility to a man who would be rolling over in the clover if he thought that you were using his name uh, to justify your bacchanalia, your rage, your rave, uh, and your wretched excess. So uh, that's it. Happy St. Patty's Day. You'll, you'll, be, you'll see this uh, podcast or this uh, presentation uh, probably Monday the 20th or so. But uh, know that I am uh, still recovering from being pinched this morning. Thanks, babe. For the Pinocchio Project, this is Mitch Friedman signing off. Thanks so much for being with us on the Pinocchio Project today. If this podcast has value for you, please subscribe or follow. Give us a five-star rating and share. If you have an everyday idea you'd like to submit for us to examine, simply email us at pinocchioprojectpod at gmail.com. We're on Twitter at pinocchiopod, or you can hit the links in the show notes below. Thanks again for listening, and remember, your everyday ideas have significant consequences.